I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa, so sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. Jonji makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Jonji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to Jonji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at Jonji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. What should I search on YouTube? <laughs> okay. Do I search a video? Something along the lines of shark week, white shark attack. That should do it. I'm Nate. This is Outside In. This is Jack Rodolico, a producer at New Hampshire Public Radio. Before he got into podcasting, he actually majored in marine biology, which is kind of funny because Jack, he's got a problem. I've watched this once, and earlier today I remembered that we're going to do this. Are you nervous? Yeah. Uh, yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. All right. Anyone who works with them knows the risks. Just keep calling them out, you know? So it's a video from Discovery Channel's Shark Week, which, by the way, is supposedly now the longest-running cable TV event in history. There's a guy in a shark tank, and the ocean is a deep, deep blue. Next thing you know, it all happened. There's a shark here. Okay, there's a great white shark. Okay. Great white's circling him. Here's the thing you really need to know about the shark cage this guy's in. It's not made of metal bars. It's made of clear plastic, like a fish tank. It almost doesn't look like he's in a cage. I don't know why he's in there. It's just downright it's, stupid. It's stupid, yeah. The guy is tapping at the glass, almost taunting the shark. The shark tests the tank. I've already had two bumps now that have been pretty deliberate. Now he can't see the shark because it's Okay, below the shark's him. down deep. Slow motion. Coming up. What was that? Oh. Oh. 
believe, yeah. The shark swims straight up and then just cuts into the tank like a hot knife through butter. The diver is totally exposed. And he's panicked. The music is panicking now. He's swimming for his life. Oh my God. Dude deserved that. I mean, come on. He was knocking on the glass. Is that the first thing you think of? It is. Yeah. But yeah. What, how did it make you feel? It is my literal nightmare. Yeah. I cannot think of a scarier thing than that. Than that. Where does that where does that come from? That fear have you has you, have you always had it? Yes. I think Jaws Jaws started it. Jack wasn't born when Jaws came out in 1975. But you couldn't grow up after that without kids or parents doing the theme when you went out for a swim. Jack watched Jaws and the sequels repeatedly on TV as a kid, and it's obviously made an impression. I went down this track of watching any documentary I could about Uh white sharks, and I do not think I got scared less. I think I actually got more and more scared of them. We aren't Shark Week. We're journalists. So here's a cold bucket of reality. Sharks don't hurt or kill a lot of people. In fact, you're much more likely to die being swept out to sea in a rip current than from a shark attack. But they have been in the news a lot lately, especially the ones Jack is most scared of, Great Whites. That's because it seems like they've been spending a lot more time lately along the shores of the East Coast. I got this Sharktivity app. You know the shark, dude. You know the Sharktivity app. I've heard of it before. This is like this is where I feel sick. Hold on. He pulls out his phone and he shows me this map, like a Google map, and it marks the location of every verified great white shark sighting in the Atlantic. Let's just do watch last two yeah. days, last week, last wow. month. There are so many dots on the screen that you can't even count them all. Look at that. Yeah. I do know that when I got this app at first. On a weekend in the summer, I would get a text every time somebody in the, in New England saw, <laughs> yeah. saw a shark. Every single, and I'd be I'd be talking to my wife and be like, uh, "Another one, uh-huh. three in the last hour, babe." You know, and she'd be like, "So what is this for? You know why?" Yeah. And yeah. I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. This is Outside In. I'm Nate Hedgie. What is fear? And why do some of us kind of love to get ourselves good and scared? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Today, Jack Rodolico is taking us on a tour of fear in the natural world, starting with his own fear slash fascination with sharks. Plus, we hear all of the amazing stories you've sent us these past few weeks. And it's not too late to share. If this episode inspires you, email us at outsidein at nhpr.org and we'll print your fears and phobias in our free newsletter. All right, let's get to it. I spent a lot of time in the water when I was a kid. Public pools, public beaches... Sometimes on a quiet day, 
I'd get in the water by myself. I remember feeling safe if my head was above water. But down below, my imagination took over. I'd see the great white coming at me, quick as lightning, its jaws wide. The fear hit me so fast. I'd swim frantically for the ladder and hurl myself out of the pool, saving myself from the worst death I could imagine, and sparing my mother the heartache of finding her youngest floating in a pool of blood. As I got older, reality helped me contextualize my fear. I swam on the south shore of Long Island because I knew great whites didn't live there. I became a scuba diver and dove with black tip reef sharks and scalloped hammerheads because I knew those sharks weren't great whites. The fear never went away, but I was able to put it in its place. Till recently, anyway. The marine biologist in me is relieved that white sharks have rebounded in the Atlantic. But the seven-year-old in me can't stop looking up YouTube clips of white sharks killing seals as people try to enjoy a day at the beach. Oh, oh my God! Oh, 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 this is bad. This is common now. People on a boat or the beach, anywhere from Jersey to Nova Scotia, taking a cute little video of a seal, and then the water goes white, then red. I'm watching these clips on my phone, and I start off convincing myself that I'm learning something from these videos about white sharks and the ocean I think of as my backyard. But quickly, I'm just doom scrolling. Huge great white shark. Oh my God. That's the size of my kayak. I'm looking for whatever will scare me the most. They say it was at least 12 feet long. Joe, he's half the size of my boat. By that time, the gentle waves were filling with blood. I got it on video! Out of the water! Out of the water! <laughs> it's weird. I don't have to watch shark videos. I choose to do a thing that scares the hell out of me. And I don't get that. So I cast a net to find some other scaredy cats to see if someone else's fear could teach me something about mine. And I found Lauren Passell. I'm recording right now, and it, th- it looks like it's recording. Lauren was born in Ohio, now lives in the East Village with her husband. She has her own marketing company, actually a podcast marketing company. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I should know how to do this. I work in podcasting. But... She's fun to talk to. She loves Disney World as much as any grown-up possibly could. You listen to the theme park music? Yes. That is a hardcore kind of Disney. Oh, I'm uh, hardcore. I've, I've probably been to Disney World 200 times. I'm going on a Disney cruise next week. I'm, a, I'm obsessed. Anyway, Lauren is afraid of something way less specific than a big fish. Lauren first noticed it in her 20s. I was on a run in Disney World. And I saw a pine cone on the ground. And the holes inside the pine cone made me so uncomfortable that I couldn't run by that spot again. You know, you don't realize things about yourself or that there's something unique about you sometimes. And I realized, oh, that is a, something just happened to my brain. What happened in her brain is a thing called 
trypophobia. Trypophobia is an aversion, even a repulsion, to repetitive patterns of small holes. Like a coral reef really, really bothers me. Um, like a honeycomb? Like a, It's just like clusters of holes? Yes, it yeah, clustered. The word cluster. Uh, yes, that's a bad one. You just, you get it. There are theories that trypophobia is somehow connected to evolution, that at some point, humans learned to associate repetitive visual patterns with some kind of threat, like maybe a terrible skin disease or a poisonous reptile scales. For people like Lauren, these patterns pop up in all sorts of unexpected places. I've heard that there is this photo of an octopus. I've heard that if you look at the octopus and it bothers you, you have trypophobia. And I'm afraid to Google it. I, I, maybe I could Google it with yeah. you. I mean, that's totally up to you. I, I, I'm up for that, but that's only if you are interested. Maybe I should do it. I, this is confronting something right now. Um, I'm going to do it right now. You are? Okay, I'll do it too. This was the moment that I truly understood. My fear of sharks is nothing like a true phobia. <gasps> oh wait, that's a lotus. And that's another one, lotus flower. Oh, are you on this business? I, I, yes, the business insider. Oh. Yeah. Oh my God. The okay, honey. Let's, let's shut it down. We don't have to do it. <gasps> okay, I see the octopus. Do you see it? Yeah. What do you think when you I, see the octopus? Um, <gasps> it, it does not bother me. I think there's something wrong me. with you. Trypophobia doesn't exactly limit Lauren. She's a businesswoman, an entrepreneur, a competitive runner. She accommodates her phobia. She says she once avoided her gym for a little while because there was some construction that was too holy. Also, she's never had a clinical diagnosis. She's never sought treatment. Does addressing it head on force you to have all of those icky feelings? Yeah. 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 Like even right now, I'm like scratching my leg. Like it's like really hard to, it's like I don't want to go there. Lauren squirms through our entire call. I can see her. She's burning calories on her end of the Zoom. At one point she says, I would love to not have this. But, like, I just don't think I make any sense because I, my friends were over and ooh, there was this video of someone who had, like, a toe, like... Basically, lesion. her friends were watching some kind of gross surgery video of a hole in someone's toe. And my husband was like, Lauren, do not look at that. Like, and I had to look. I had to. And I'll... N I... I don't know if I regret it because it was like interesting, but I can, I'll never forget it. It was so bad. It was maybe the worst because it was also like a movie of, oh, it was so bad. I wonder if there is like, um, if this thing is that, has that much power, there's something uh, very potent about knowing that you can tap into it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Ooh, this is like therapy. <laughs> it's not. I just want to be clear. It's, no, I know it's, it's not. But it's like maybe it's a control thing. I can make myself mm. feel something. Right. But I don't like it. I don't know. Oh, my God. New message. Saturday, September 17th. Time, 11.18 p.m. Hi, this is Hillary from Washington State, um, and I am afraid of oven mitts, you know, the kind that looks like mittens. The reason is because I am from a part of Texas where you always have to check any hidden space for um, spiders and scorpions and sometimes even rattlesnakes. And so growing up, um, I became afraid of putting my hands in places where I couldn't see them and oven mitts that are shaped like that um, still feel like maybe I might find a scorpion inside of them. So that is what I am afraid of. Thanks. Bye. After the break, fear, logic, and virtual reality spiders? Yeah, but I've lost track of one spider, I think. Oh, wait. That's fine. That's good. Found That's him. good. That's very good. But first, a quick reminder that we have a free newsletter that is just as fun to read as this podcast is to listen to. And you should definitely sign up. You'll get some little behind-the-scenes messages from the team, pictures, suggested reading. And if you say something super nice or thoughtful about us, we might even name you our Listener of the Week. So check it out. There's a link in the show notes. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Each story from our guests and listeners is totally unique and utterly personal. We love hearing about your first impressions when visiting someplace new. My first trip to the Patagonia region was on the Argentine side. I couldn't believe the expansive territory. It's like being in Tibet. The emptiness and the harshness really, I found transformative. Or a story told when safely back on dry land. You know, things happened every single day. I ran out of gas on a jet ski in the middle of the ocean. And I was like, what if a sea creature comes to eat me? But then I'm delusional. I was like, I'll make friends with it and it won't eat me. And maybe I'll ride that back to shore. That's how it works. Yeah. Join me, Lale Arakoglu, every week for more adventures on women who travel, wherever you listen to your podcasts. New message. Friday, September 16th. Hi there, this is Erin Partridge. I'm calling from Lafayette, California. And you had asked about things in the natural world that scare us. Um, I am a rattlesnake bite survivor. I was bitten by baby rattlesnake twice, not once, but twice. Um, once on each foot, uh, right on my front doorstep. So ever since then, um, every time I see or hear about a rattlesnake, my feet throb, um, right at the point where I was bitten. End of recording. 
message sent by telephone number one three six one eight one. Patients come to my office and say, "I know it's stupid, but I'm afraid of this." And I say, "It's not stupid. It's illogical." Fear has to be fast, and fear has to be illogical because logic is slow. Doctor Arash Javanbakht knows a lot about fear. Also, there are a lot of pictures of him online with a gigantic dog. Yes, he is. If you Google the most famous dog in Ann Arbor, you will find him. <laughs> Arash does deep work with people who are deeply scared of something. In fact, fear trivializes his work a bit. He is a trauma psychiatrist. He works with refugees, torture survivors, victims of human trafficking, also cops, EMTs, veterans. He's a super smart guy, and I wanted him to do something that, for him, is super simple. Walk me through what is happening in my brain, in your brain, in all of our brains, when we are scared. So there is this almond-shaped、uh, part of the brain in the temporal lobe, right near the ear, with amygdala. Fear fires up the amygdala. Sometimes people call the amygdala the lizard brain. Its job is anytime I see something, it determines the salience. Should I run away from it? Should I attack it? Should I, should I eat it? Should I have sex with it? All your sensors are wired directly into your amygdala, and the amygdala breaks input down into super simple categories: threats, non-threats. Very primitive, basic human functions of survival. And so, let's say amygdala sees a lion or a shark, and it says, "Run away! Get out of the pool!" Out of the water! Out of the water! When it senses a threat to life and limb. The amygdala sets off all these physiological dominoes. Adrenaline floods your bloodstream. Your heart beats faster. Your blood pressure jacks up. The tiny airways in your lungs get wider. Before you can think, your body is primed to fight or escape, which is useful sometimes. And that's where the next part of the brain comes in: the hippocampus. The hippocampus slows you down a bit. Brings in a touch of logic. Let's say I see the lion. The context, well, if the context is I am with the lion next to it in African Sahara, my response would be very different emotionally than if I'm in a zoo. I see the people. I see the writing that says it's a zoo. I see the bars between me and the lion. I see kids are having ice cream, laughing, and all these contextual cues tell me we are safe. So places, areas like hippocampus. No. Okay. Now we are in the safe context. They tell amygdala, okay, slow down. This is why people can walk into the first room of a haunted house, get scared out of their wits, then walk into the next room. It's why I can watch a shark video that scares me, then watch another one. It still doesn't explain why I do that. Still, I'm a step closer, I think. Also, it explains how people with debilitating fears can be trained. To conquer those fears,、okay. we are going to bully the bully. Fear is a bully, <laughs> and we are bullying the bully, right? Okay. So Arash is director of the Stress, Trauma, and Anxiety Research Clinic at Wayne State University School of Medicine in Michigan, and he sent me this recording from a session of exposure therapy. That's where a patient faces the very thing that scares them. This patient is Sushmita Madabusi, a 22-year-old grad student. Sushmita. 
who consented to me using this tape, has arachnophobia. Uh, it's going to be a jumping spider. Okay. Jumping spider? Sushmita is wearing augmented reality glasses. The video I'm watching is taken from those glasses. I see what she sees. She's looking at the actual room she's in, a square, carpeted room with a desk in the corner. Arash is at a computer, superimposing spiders into her view. I'm starting to itch. Starting to itch. I don't know where he went. At first, there's a few spiders, and they're way across the room. Can I have one of them move just a tiny bit? Not towards you. Okay, I only see one of them right now. That one, yeah. That one's going to move. Arash makes the spiders walk away from her, then towards her. Every minute or so, she ranks her fear from one to ten. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's like a, that's like an eight or nine. Eight or nine, okay, okay, you don't want heading right towards me. Oh, okay, okay. Slowly, she gets closer to the spiders. A little closer. A little bit more. See if we can touch it. <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> Why not? I touch it, you can touch it also. I'm just gonna feel a board. Sushmita slides her hand under a tarantula. Ooh, I'm under it. I swear it felt warmer under there. <laughs> that's good. That's very good. See if you can hold it like longer time. Okay. Because what, we are, what are we doing? We are training your brain that this is safe. This is safe. Yeah. This is safe. You are the boss. You're in charge, right? I'm the boss. Of course you are. <laughs> Let's do it. After less than an hour, Sushmita is left alone in a smaller room filled with fake spiders, dozens of them. The door closes and Arash chats with her through a baby monitor. Matter two. <laughs> That's perfect. Now I want to just start making him all randomly move around, okay? Oh, okay, okay. All right. Ready? Yep. Let's do it. Fear is primal. It's learned and it's specific to each of us. We can talk to someone forever about why spiders are not scary, or a Shih Tzu is not gonna harm them, a pet Shih Tzu. And they say, I know this, but part of me doesn't understand. And that part is the animal brain, the animal inside of us. And that animal learns through experience, which is the exposure. After just one session of augmented reality exposure therapy, Sushmita was able to hold in her hands a real, living tarantula. In an email, she told me she recently picked up a spider with a paper towel and released it outside. And this technology has way broader applications than arachnophobia. War veterans whose PTSD stops them from entering a crowded space, Arash is doing the same kind of exposure therapy with them, putting them in crowded rooms, one fake person at a time, retraining their brains. This is safe. This is safe. This is safe. New message. Time, 9.21 a.m. My name is Alec from Nashville, Tennessee. 
And my experience, I was camping in Kansas, and at this time I didn't really ever use tents. I would just put down a sleeping bag and be under the stars, and I thought that was great. Until one night I woke up, and there was a sniffling and a snuffling right next to me, and then I felt things touching my bag and clawing at my sleeping bag. And it's a mummy bag, so it's only my head sticking out. And then I hear things being something being dragged around me. And then I saw what it was. I slept somehow near a place where coyotes brought all of their wild turkeys that they killed. And they found me, and there was just sniffling, sniffing at me, pawing at me. And I just stayed perfectly still thinking, I'm a rock. I am a rock. I am a rock. After probably about five minutes, so it seemed like hours, they left me alone. But I didn't even dare move because I didn't know where they would be. And I just watched the full moon cross the sky for hours that whole night, holding it in because I had to pee, really cold, and just wishing I had stayed somewhere else. Thank you. End of recording. My hypothesis from earlier feels kind of contradictory. The idea that Lauren and I force ourselves to face our fears because it makes us feel alive. But I asked Arash about that theory, and he said it actually makes a lot of sense, that there's overlap between the circuits and neurotransmitters involved in all big emotions. Fear, elation, falling in love, using drugs— Chemically, they're just not all that different. Still, fear is its own emotion. It's there to protect you. And for some people with certain fears, exposure is the last thing they need. I want to play one more voice memo for you. From a guy named Niall Carruthers, who spent a season as a researcher in the forest in Costa Rica. Uh, but there was this one morning, it was probably 4, 4.30 a.m., so it was still dark out, that I was walking out to a site by myself, and I heard footsteps. And what stood out to me about these footsteps is that they were in sync with my footsteps. So in my mind, I'm thinking, these kind of sound like human footsteps. And I would stop, and the footsteps would stop. Um, And that, the idea that a cat or even a jaguar or another predator, another large animal, might be in the forest at that time didn't frighten me as much as the idea of that being another human in the forest. But yeah, that's my two cents. Love your show. You guys rock. Bye. I followed up with Niall. He lives in Southern California, where he's working as a billing administrator for a rock climbing company while he gets his master's degree. Well, first of all, did you ever figure out what was behind you? No, I never did. Um, eventually, it, in the end, I, I believe that it was probably a jaguar. That idea that it's scarier to be stalked by a human than a jaguar 
I have to say I get that. I think that's why they make movies about people going camping in the woods or people going out to a cabin in the woods is a classic one. And some unfamiliar figure arrives, right? And it kind of unfolds from there. But there's another layer to Niall's anxiety, and it's something I can't relate to personally. The scary movie in his head, it isn't Halloween or Blair Witch. It's more like Get Out. In general, it's a pretty white space, and I have to be realistic with myself to say that, one, people don't always expect to see a a tall black man by himself walking through the forest, Um, and two, I have interacted with individuals where I'm like, okay, this doesn't feel like a space that I'm welcome in, Um, and I have a pretty good idea of why that might be the case, right? Niles, 29, adventurous. His Instagram looks like a spread in Outside Magazine. Nile cliff diving. Nile climbing mountains in the snow. Nile sprinting up a dune. Dude looks invincible. But as a black dude, he knows that he's not. And he's reminded of it often. In the outdoors. This one time, he says, he and a friend, also a man of color, were in Michigan. We were trying to find a lake, um, access to this lake so that we could put our kayaks in. And as we were passing um, one of the houses at the end of this little road, this man like runs out of his house, like run, like beeline, like must have seen us coming up the road, beelines it out, up his driveway, out to the road and stands in the middle of the road, blocks our car. Mm. And I already like, I'm kind of on edge at that point. So my approach is like, be polite, just kind of let this person know what we're doing. So I'm maintaining this demeanor of like, Hey, we're out. We're on vacation. You know, we're looking for a spot. We're trying to have fun. Um, and his demeanor does not match that at all. Immediately, he's like, "What are you doing here? Like, why are you on this street?" And we're like, "Yeah, we've been driving." The guy didn't call the cops. He didn't pull out a weapon. Nile says the one thing he did do was give them directions on how to leave his neighborhood. And as we turned around and left, he's like yelling from his yard, yelling at us like, "Slow down! Like, don't speed!" So I just took that as like his last dish effort to control that situation Completely and like control. Yeah, and just be like, you know, you have to do do what I say in this scenario. Yeah, what's wild to think about is like I think when I leave my house, oftentimes like a certain level of vigilance kind of kicks in. Um, it probably requires a lot of energy on my end to be in that state so so frequently. When you get further away from people into the outdoors, does the vigilance drop? Yeah, like if there, if I can be more certain that I'm not gonna encounter other human beings and I'm just like out there that's where like I sometimes feel the most relaxed like no expectation of my behavior there's no expectation of how I need to behave depending on like who inhabits that area I I I say to my friends sometimes when I'm out in nature that I'm like flopping around and I would describe those situations where I'm just like out flopping around, like kind of just hanging out, doing whatever, exploring, flipping rocks, looking around for wildlife and just like 
being happy about it. Flopping not, when Nile is flopping, this means this means like loose. Yeah, it's you're loose. Just like, it's just, you're like, just in it. Just in it, hanging out, kind of doing whatever comes to mind. Uh, the child inside of me is freed. Mm. Arash, the trauma psychiatrist, says fear is a spectrum. How we react when we're exposed to our fear, that depends on where the fear falls on the spectrum. So now we are talking about the spectrum of the degrees of fear. From a little bit of like discomfort to terror. If something terrorizes you, you will not get close to it. This is exactly where my chat with Niall landed. Lauren and I can push ourselves toward our fear from the comfort of our screens. Not Niall. This is not like a fear that you are, are sort of um, pushing yourself towards to examine. He's shaking his head no. No, yeah, no, this is no. No, no this is a fear that if it unfolds and becomes founded, a valid fear, then like I'm out. At that point, it becomes like a fear for my life. I know that not every interaction is that serious, but in my mind, it can become that serious. The gray area of how that can go is not is too, I like that's too scary for me. Like I don't want to stick around to see how, see how things go. So, why do I push myself to do a thing that scares me? Probably, the answer is that I do it because it scares me, but just not too much. This episode of Outside In was produced by Jack Rodolico. It was edited and mixed by Taylor Quimby. Additional editing help from me, Nate Hedgie, Justine Paradise, Jessica Hunt, and Felix Poon. Rebecca Lavoie is our executive producer. Special thanks to all of the folks that shared their fears and scary stories with us. Aaron Partridge, Lauren Passell, Nal Carruthers, Michelle McKay, Alec from Nashville, and Hillary from Washington. Also, a special thanks to Mike Kramer Duffield, who caught an audio editing error in our recent show about veterinarians and let us know right away. Thanks, Mike. You are the best. It's not too late to share your own two cents about spooky stuff in the natural world. Email us at outsidein at nhpr.org. Or you can join our private Facebook group where you can chat with other listeners and occasionally help us gin up ideas for the show. Links to all that jazz and more is, of course, in our show notes. Music in this episode came from Silver Maple, Matt Large, Luella Gren, John Abbott, and Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.
Let, we can turn this. You want to turn this off? No, no, no. I turned the. I'm okay. I'm not looking at it anymore. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, okay. I was a really. <laughs> no, you're being very I was, kind. I'm worried, I was a little worried about you. It like ha- I don't. It happens. I don't want to profit off of your fear here.